Spot On is sponsored by the Wellbeing Project here at Boston University. This project is a new campus-wide initiative to support students' health and wellness during their time at the university. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about the Wellbeing Project. You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Today on Spot On, do I have a special, special guest for you. Today we are going to be talking with Mae Musk, and she is a 71-year-old supermodel. Yes, 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 you heard that correctly. She's 71 years of age. She started modeling when she was in her teens, but she only got to her first New York runway fashion show, which is really hard to do, when she was 67. So here she is modeling all her life and made it to the big time when she was 67. I mean, that is just totally unheard of in the modeling world. I mean, you know, someone that that old would would be on that runway in such the limelight. But you know something? That doesn't really surprise me because that's Mae Musk. And she is not only a supermodel, but she is a super mother of Elon Musk. Yes, that's right. That You're right. Elon Musk, that one, the one with the cars and the jets and whatever. Plus, Kimball Musk, when you hear about him, we'll talk about him later. And her daughter, Tosca Musk, who is equally, equally um, a- ambitious and successful. So I am so excited to be talking to Mae Musk today. May Musk has got a new book out uh, entitled A Woman Makes a Plan, which describes her journey from the good times to some very, very bad times and back in her life. And I brought her on because she is so inspirational that no matter what age you are, everybody needs some inspiration. So with that, I am going to welcome Miss May Musk on Spot On. Hi, Joan. Great to be with you again. The last time we spoke together or presented together was at Boston University. And and if you recall, I never spoke about being a model. I only spoke about being a nutrition entrepreneur, being a professional speaker, being running your own business, how to eat well. And so now being a supermodel is a new challenge. Well, for you, it's not a challenge. It's a natural. But I have to tell you, that's funny, because what I didn't tell my listeners here, something else about you, that really what she is besides super mom and supermodel, she's a registered dietitian nutritionist. Yes, she is. She is a dietitian. And this basically was what grounded you through your whole life as the modeling career went in and went out, wasn't it? It was my basic income as a single mother with three kids. My nutrition practice and business kept us going. Every month I managed to make ends meet and managed to feed my kids and pay rent. The modeling was like a cherry on top. In other words, we could go and buy a coat or we could we couldn't go to movies or anything that's too expensive. But um, you know, maybe especially when we moved to Toronto, we needed coats. Modeling would bring this extra bit in 
but I never mentioned it in my nutrition talk. I started modeling at 15. That was my first runway show. At 67 was my first New York Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. And you need to understand the difference. The difference is you, at New York Fashion Week, you do couturier work. In other words, the designer designs a dress for you to wear. I never had that. I was always doing like the Nordstrom show, the Macy show, Eileen Fisher, that type of thing. And then suddenly I'm on this glamorous runway show and uh, they make a dress specially for me at 67 and they found me through social media. Which is mind-boggling and phenomenal. So you're right. You know, uh, I I live here in Boston and I actually have a son in the fashion industry and I know about the New York you know, runway and that is, let me tell you, that's a hard thing to crack into. And my God, and to be on there and to be there at that age is just unbelievable. But going back to your days, you know, this is really interesting how your life as a registered dietitian and the income from that really kept you on your feet. And I want to talk a little rewind back about your growing up and then your life and your life with the kids. But I have to just tell my listeners, uh, when you hear what her life was like, this woman was given, uh, when life gave her lemons, she made lemon zest and she made a lot of it and it was fabulous. Now, May, in your book, which I'm going to put up on the Spot On Facebook page. It is so fabulous. It is a must read. You said that um, you started out in a loving family and you married into a, a nightmare that caused you to always have a plan. And, and again, that's the name of the book. A woman has a plan. So you were, you, you were raised to have a plan. So can we go back to your childhood? Because let me tell you, I wish I grew up with you and your mother and father. <laughs> Yeah, I had a bit, well, the Canadians, you know, they're very kind and gentle and considerate of others and polite. And uh, But they worked hard. My parents always worked for themselves, you know, and they we didn't see them in the day because they were working. Until we were about 12, and then my sisters and I had turns being their receptionists in the morning. We had from quarter to seven to seven thirty before we left for school. So we, we pretty much, and we saw them at six o'clock at dinner, we were very independent. But a happy home where nobody raised a voice, nobody was angry. Women were treated the same as men, and it was it was great growing up, up that way. But I was a science nerd, like most dietitians. <laughs> I was really good at science and found it very easy. I can't draw anything, so I'm not good in it, at art. But you don't have to be good at everything. And then I did. I wanted to do a bachelor of science degree, and my dad said, "You need a profession at the end of your degree, otherwise, where do you go with microbiology?" Mm-hmm. So then I specialised in dietetics, and I thought, "Oh, maybe I can drop the ten pounds that I carry all the time, you know." And uh, I had to go to an Afrikaans university so I could learn a new language while doing the sciences. That was hard, and then I found out that. Education can only do so much, and then the risk is you've got to sort out your own life if you want to drop 10 pounds. You've got to use science and common sense. And then, but funny enough, uh, my last year at university, I was just so, I found it so hard, especially doing it all in Afrikaans, that uh, I I just ate my way through it, which is a very common problem, gained 65 pounds. Mm. And uh, that's not hard, you know. Mm. You have fried chicken and fries and burgers and chocolates and tub of ice cream and all that. I loved it. I must say I loved it. But, uh, of course, you gain weight very quickly that way. 
But, you know, when you were growing up, I read in the book, you know, you started out, I love the way you said that, you know, you would work you know, for, with your parents in in the you know company, in the morning and at night, and you were very very independent and doing that. And, and you know, your father. I, I read a story in the book that that you went on a trip, to and stayed in 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 the desert. Well, my father wanted to go exploring the Kalahari Desert, and my my mom said she either had to go with him or leave, let him go on his own. She didn't want that. But then there were five kids as well. We went every July. It wasn't just once. We mm. went all the time. Mm. And they would have three weeks' supply of water, gas, and food. And you know, my mom could even bake scones, or scones as they say in uh, America. In the desert? She would uh, uh, Because she would have water, in just some water. I mean, we had very limited water. She would have powdered eggs, powdered milk. Uh, flour, baking powder, the normal things. Uh, uh, to and she would then we would go and get dried twigs and twi- dried branches to make a fire. She'd put it in an iron pot and she would bake scones. I even have photos of it. This is in the desert. I mean, this is you're making scones in the, in the desert. desert. In the desert, we would we would wake up at, at five a.m. You know, when the sun comes up, we wake up at five a.m. We pack up our sleeping bags, pack up the whole the the, the truck, and then we would drive. And then my princess and I would have turns running in the front to make sure we're not hitting any dried tree stumps because then we would damage the car. Because we did once, and it took my dad and, and my older brother two days to solder the radiator because it was, of course, leaking, it was damaged. And um, the thing is, then you, uh, the point is, the, the book is not that I planned my life. I think if you plan it, it never goes according to your plan. It's from the saying, a plan, which is an Afrikaans saying, means that if things go wrong, you have to make a plan. In other words, you should always be ready in case something goes wrong. And in your life, lots goes wrong. A lot goes wrong. And um, That's your... so then you have to make a plan. Yeah, that's what this book is all about, because what I found interesting is your father and mother were very adventurous, but they always had a plan, and they taught you to do that. So you just grew up saying, uh, look, I've, I've, you know, I've done these adventures. We planned them out. Things didn't go right, but we survived. And guess what? You took that through your life. And I find that very, very inspirational. The only thing that aging really gives us, well, it gives us a lot of things, but the best thing it gives us is wisdom. And so, yes. and that's why I really wanted to, I want everyone to hear your story. Because, you know, a lot of people listening to Spot On are young adults or, or no college students or parents of sub students and to have someone spread out their life and say you know uh, adjust to the ups and the downs to it and come out at the end like you came out I think is inspiring so your your family was just fun and loving and just adventurous so they they raised you to be fearless In the book, we go on to a place in your life that wasn't the most fun. It was probably the most painful, and that's when you got married. So tell us a little bit yes. about that. Well, well then, then you become very fearful. So on your honeymoon, you get hit, you know, and you get told this is where your place will be. That was terrifying and horrifying. I had no idea that that's the guy I married would, would behave. And then you then you come back from honeymoon and you bruise and you're pregnant, you know. Right. So you really, and in those days, you didn't 
tell anyone because it's uh, no one. I actually, my brothers, my two brothers and my twin sister, they didn't know even to this day until they read my book that I was in an abuse relationship, knew that my ex-husband was naughty and I wasn't, and they weren't allowed to see me when I was married, but they didn't know that I was being beaten up. The response I'm getting is that so many women are in this position and I would say contact your family and your friends because that could help. But I was also scared for them if, if I should share this, the, the, the abuse because he could come after them. So, you know, I, you don't know what to do when, you, when you're being in that bad situation. Then there was nine years of bad marriage and then 11 years of, of legal lawsuits as he sued me all the time to see. He, he really wanted me to bankrupt me so that I would return, but I didn't. And then I left for Toronto, but my funds, funds were blocked. So I had to start from scratch. And we cleaned up that rent-controlled apartment. It took us three weeks, Elon, Tosca, and I. And then we moved in, put a carpet down, and slept on that. And we were happy. Right, <laughs> when right. you think of it, every day you're happy because there's some hope and you're not living with this fear. Right. When you when I was reading about that, I mean, he was emotionally and physically abusive. And what I found so interesting that you were in South Africa, right, when, at the time when you were married yes. with him, yes. that they women could not uh, divorce on, on those grounds. Those were not no. grounds that you would no. allow a divorce, and which is mind-boggling to me. So you put up with this nonsense, and then you finally were able to divorce, and you were broke. And you said, I'm out of here. You're age 31. You've had three children in three years. And like you said, you're putting down a carpet and sleeping on the floor. But you had a plan. You had a plan. And you're right. I'd rather be sleeping in an apartment with my children safe and really have financial struggles because you have a plan rather than being in in a scary relationship. I mean, that is just unbelievable. Yes, and, and, and then I've been through you know, other events that uh, I had a lawsuit with his co-op in, in New York where the boiler chimney was damaged by the neighbor below me and suddenly my apartment started shaking and soot and cement and asbestos was in the apartment. I had to close it up and the building would do nothing about it. Unfortunately, there was nothing I could do because the board and the management company hid the reports from me for the engineer and the boiler company, as well as the plans of the apartment below me. And so the Department of Building kept, kept on giving violations and the board would ignore it. Yeah. And they refused to read any reports and all this stuff. For five years, I was in hell in New York as well. And there, I, I don't know what I could have done to make it repair quicker. Eventually, the New York Fire Department, the uh, deputy chief, came along and said, this is unsafe. For my firemen, oh my it goodness, to be repaired because there were holes in the floor. You could go into the apartment below and holes in the ceiling, and all the walls were cracked. And he, he he forced them to to repair. And in two days, it was repaired, and I could sell my apartment and get out of there. It was five years of hell. And but what kind of plan could I make when the board would ignore everything I did? So you see, you go through some hard times. And so that's why only when I moved to Los Angeles to help my daughter with her twins, two years later there was the law, the court case, so that ended. So I would say from about 67 
I was in a good position and felt happy. I mean, it's about time. Hey? Right, right. right. I, but it took you a while. You were up and down. But I, what I love about the story is that you uh, you took care of your kids and you and you raised them in such a loving way as a single mother. And you say something in the book that um, the magic of twelve and that that it seems you your take on it after your wisdom and looking back on raising your children, that your kids developed their interest um, of their careers by the age twelve. And you know, we'll start with Elon Musk. <laughs> And you used to call Elon the encyclopedia. Why did you call him the encyclopedia? Because we didn't have the internet. Don't forget. Uh, now I will call him uh, the internet. But um, he read the Encyclopedia Britannica. I think there must have been 24 volumes or something. He remembered everything. Whereas I would read a story or read something, I would have to study it to memorize it. And he did remember everything. So he was our encyclopedia. He built rockets and electric cars, which other car companies and space companies can't do. Right. So, in other words, he taught himself all this. Right. I just have to. I'm. I'm just laughing to myself here because I'm saying myself. Here he is, Elon Musk. He's 12 years old. May Musk doesn't have access to the internet. So what does she do? She's basically when he's 12, she, you're googling Elon to get information because he can retain it all. It's like yeah. it's like. You had this. You had this internet at twelve. <laughs> yes, Matt, he knew everything. He knew everything. Uh, my mom returned to Canada, and my sister too. After we sold the two, we 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 brought him back to Canada so they could be with the family. And I remember <clears throat> my mom would say, "Wow, the weather is so bad, and it's it's getting worse. It's getting so much worse." So then I call Elon and I say, "Elon." My mom says the weather's getting worse. He says there, there's so many more hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and, and temperature changes. And, and so uh, why is it getting, why are there so many more? He says they aren't more, they're just getting worse. So in other words, there's still the same amount, but they were getting worse and, and um, destroy, uh, damaging the planet. So, yeah. like, 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 he knew this. Like, he innately just knew that he was your walking encyclopedia. And then yeah. with, with Kimball, then you got Kimball, who is love food and, and cooking. And now he runs this big nonprofit called Big Green. And what is Big Green? Big Green builds mm-hmm. vegetable and fruit gardens in underserved schools. So, he's, they built over 650 already. So, this is his nonprofit. He just felt that even in our poorest times, I always manage to find fruits and vegetables in season, whereas these children don't have access and they, they didn't even know how they grow or where to get them from. So, uh, and then he started in Boulder, Colorado, where he lived, and then he would build one in a garden, you know, in a school. But somebody has to look after it. Somebody has to teach children how to plant seeds. And then the, the containers would fall apart. So now he has containers that will last 30 years, he has a team in every city, so he needs a hundred gardens in the city, so that that team can go and teach the children how to first of all put the dirt in the containers, how to plant the seeds. So there is a technique to that, to, mm-hmm. you know, and then to pl- and then how to water them, and then they would go every week to make sure that they are doing it right. But the children have to do it, and so then when they pick those vegetables and fruits out of the ground, they are so excited. I mean, you can see the photos on biggreen.org. They are so excited 
about vegetables and fruit. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knew? Right. And then they eat it. They are shown how to prepare it. They eat it and they take it home, extra home, and they educate their parents. Right. I mean that is a that is a good son of a dietitian if I have ever uh, ever it? seen one. Yes, absolutely proud as a big guy. And then your daughter Tosca. I mean, she is a director making films and runs her own Passion Flex, which is a company that turns romance novels into movies. You know, when I'm thinking about, I'm thinking back here, you are 31, you're raising all these kids, and look what these kids came out. And you had a plan. Yeah, you had a plan. Well, and you just said, I am going to survive. I'm going to make it, these kids a loving home, the home that you uh, grew up in. And, and you did it. And and look what they turned out to be, which is just unbelievably, unbelievably phenomenal. So what happened? Tosca was 15. Okay. And she said, I'm going to go and join Elon in, in Canada and visit all my relatives there. And Elon will look after me. I said, he, he's just turned 18. He can't look after you. Oh, no, he will look after me. So then I said, all right, let me go and check out what's going on. So I went to uh, six different universities as well as in the main cities as well as the model agencies. The model agencies all wanted a woman in her 30s, which was great because they didn't have an older model. That was easy. The universities also wanted me, except for Montreal. They said my French wasn't good enough. I do speak French, German, and, and Afrikaans, which is like that. But it's not good enough for research work, and rightly so. But then I thought, well, the university, Toronto is the main center. So I went there, and they said they had a position as a research officer for me as well, which is great, because then I would get paid, and my studies would be free. So I come back to Zanford, Toronto sold my home, my car, my furniture, and I just have to sign the papers. And nobody knew she was 15, because she's 5 or 10. And very confident. So where do, you, where do you think she gets the confidence from? Hello? The leaf doesn't fall I, too far from the tree. I mean, so this is hysterical. So you're visiting up in Toronto trying to get work and figuring out and seeing Elon. And she's back in Johannesburg at age 15 selling that the house and the car. She certainly had a plan. She certainly <laughs> made a plan. Because we were going to move two years later. But then she didn't see a point. Anyway, yeah. With regard to Passion Flex, she was producing, directing movies, and all every movie had the woman violated or abused or diseased or something. And she said, I've got to make happier movies than that. So she started Passion Flex. And here it is in the romance, they romance books. The women are strong, intelligent, stylish, successful, but there is drama because it's a, a romance novel. And in the end, that they are happy, so there's there's no abuse in that. And also, the women get equal pay to men. They're female directors. I mean, this was just before the Me Too movement. So right. she really was uh, ahead of the game. And she so loved making happy movies in beautiful settings. Right. And, you know, thank goodness for her because I'm telling you in these times where you really need an escape you want to watch movies that show women in the right light show people in general in a good light and and to have a good ending we're moving on in your life here so at age 60 you're gonna pose nude first of all there was very limited modeling for me right. I remember because the agent was kind of blackboarding me keeping me out of the market but uh, so so what happens, the casting director would see me walking my dog because I was a block away from the office. Mm-hmm. So when the 
Then the model agent said, she's not available, she's not available. She said, I see her walking a dog every day. Mm. So, uh, and, you know, I hadn't modeled forever, but I still didn't want to be new. And I said, I just don't do it. So then I called Tasha. She said, you don't do new. So I called Kimber. She said, Mom, it's Time magazine. You're going to be just fine. <laughs> and, it, and it was fine, you know. <laughs> you, you saw the pose. It's, it's very uh, discreet. Uh, there were women looking after me, and they had a mirror in front of me, so I knew exactly what 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 was going on. And it was a beautiful photo. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I I don't need to prove anything. I don't uh, don't need to do that again. Yeah, but, I don't care even for the cover. But that did that not lead to the infamous, the world famous? I know. Oh. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay, let me just fill in my spot on listeners. And we are going to put this New York Magazine, this cover, up on the Spot On Facebook page. This was uh, a nude shot. You had that. Demi Moore had done a pregnancy nude shot in a very beautiful, tasteful way. And what they did was superimpose your face on this nude pregnant Demi Moore body to promote the article in the magazine was, is she just too old for this? New parents after the age of 50. And that just blew up your career. Didn't you just go on fire after that? Well, that, well don't forget my name wasn't attached to it. So nobody really knew it was me unless they met me. Oh, well. Remember those days, it wasn't, there wasn't any social media, but that photo went worldwide, yes. worldwide. What it is, so then I was wearing nude underwear, actually, but they brought in a pregnant woman for the tummy mm-hmm. to, to superimpose that on me. Yeah, I don't need to do nude underwear either again, but uh, people were horrified by it because they, they they even said to, it was my New Jersey agent, as I said, my New York agent wouldn't give me work. It was my New Jersey agent who sent me the email, and I was with Tosca, and I said, I will not do that pose. Tosca says, it's iconic. It's a Demi Moore pose. Right, right. It is iconic. So then I gave in. Yeah, so I gave in, and and they said to me, it's not going to be glamorous. They're going to make me look 70, and I was only 60, or around 60. I mean, they're going to make me look like I'm in my 70s having a baby. So they did the harsh lighting so that I looked older than I am. And so it was horrifying to see a woman in her 70s pregnant. Um, but what a, what a but photo. Again, nobody knows it's me. Nobody knew it was me. Well, I knew it was you. I knew it was you. And we're gonna, and, because you knew me. Right. Yeah. But I'm going to put it up on Facebook, and now everybody's going to know it's you because it is, it is definitely iconic. We'll do that. But here you go again. You are, you know, you're taking risks, but you're taking risks that are calculated. You are thinking yeah, them through, yeah. and you're growing. And you're 71. You're, you've got books. You've got a modern career that is outrageous. Um, you and have, today, funny enough, funny enough today, I posted Demi Moore with my book. She is such a darling. I see her. We see each other quite often, and she is lovely, and she posted a beautiful photo of, oh. of holding my book, and she made the loveliest comment as well. That is so there fabulous. You go. Yeah, who that, would know? Who, who would, would know, know that? That is fabulous. And you're, you're right about um, social media and the Internet, but you are, uh, you're you not shy on social media. You have quite a few followers, don't you, on Instagram? Yeah, yeah. I work hard. I yeah. work hard on it. Yeah. I spend a lot of time on it. Right. Yeah. So at the last time I looked, it was 290,000 followers. 
Um, so let me tell you, you're still up there with the technology and still getting the message out. But the, yeah, the, I'm gonna that's right. That's good. And that's probably one of the reasons why you're aging gracefully and fabulous, because you just never stop and you keep it going. So you, yeah. your your wisdom in the book, you something that I love that you said, and, and we should all take and remember is mix with happy people to keep you young. And what did you mean by that? Yeah. Well, you know, I've had some unhappy people around me and I've tried to change them. And then I would take them like, to a party with friends for dinner. And then the friends would say, please don't bring them again. They are so miserable. And then I would talk to these, and this happened many times, because I've tried to change people. Yes. You know, if they're miserable, they don't have any friends and they're angry and they uh, then for no particular reason, so they they good looking and wealthy and all that they have got and intelligent and educated, but they bring everything down. Mm-hmm. Eventually I have to say, I'm sorry, I can't see you anymore. Right. I can't take you anywhere. Yeah, but you always take me, you know, and I'm I just can't because nobody wants you around. You are too angry and you insult the host. Right. You know, they they arrogant and and so don't mix with people that are not nice. Right. I mean, you can't, I don't know how to change them because if I could have, I, I would have changed many people I knew in my past. I would have changed my ex-husband. Right. But uh, that didn't happen. Right. So, so yeah. that's great, you know, as we go through life here, and if you want to be happy, surround yourself with happy people that are going to lift you up when you need a lift and you're going to lift them up and that you can't change everything. This book is so inspirational that I want everybody at every age to read it, to see what your life was like. As a single mother, you raised three unbelievably successful children, and you're and you're happy. And and I'm going to say personally, I know you in person, and you're you're actually funny too. <laughs> well, I think I'm hilarious. I love seeing you. I love May Musk, and I'm going to put everything up on the Spot On Facebook page. But I am so happy that you shared your story, and I hope that everybody's going to read the book, and we're all going to be better for it. So I just want to thank you, May Musk, for being on Spot On. Thank you, Joan. I'm really pleased of you to contact me. Spot On is sponsored by the Wellbeing Project here at Boston University. This project is a new campus-wide initiative to support students' health and wellness during their time at the university. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about the Wellbeing Project. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salji Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you?